Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our missions emphasis from 2019. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Mark chapter 14. This has been uh, my very first time really being north of Sacramento. I am uh, just from California. I've spent most of my life in California, and I uh, drove up to Seattle area and through Oregon and everything, and I saw like trees that were different colors for the first time in my life. It was, uh, it was quite a sight to see, and, and it's, been, it's been a lot of lakes that I've been able to see. It's, it's pretty awesome, and so it's been awesome to see a different change of scenery and to be in a different place, and uh, gas is a little bit cheaper. It's under $4 a gallon over here, so I appreciate that. Uh, that's been a blessing. Uh, but today we're going to talk about my favorite story in the Bible besides the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is a story that uh, I believe is one of Jesus' favorite stories. Uh, Jesus, uh, in, in the Word of God, God, team, God tends to uh, resort back to a lot of stories that he really tends to like a lot. And in the Old Testament, even the New Testament, you see him referring back to, uh, back to Egypt and how he brought them out of Egypt. He refers back to that several, several times. And, and there are some stories in the gospel that are only told once. There are some stories in the gospel that are told a couple times. And there are some that are, to, that are told you know, a, a few times. And this is one of the stories that's told three times uh, throughout the scriptures. Uh, Mark chapter 14, Matthew 26, and John chapter 12. We'll only look at Mark 14 tonight. Uh, but this is my favorite story in the Bible, and I'd love to just kind of dig into it and uh, bring out some application from it tonight. It's not necessarily a, mis- uh, a message that's focused on missions, but it's definitely a message that has a lot of application uh, towards missions. And so Mark chapter number 14, we're going to start in verse number 3. Verse number 3, it says, And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he, being Jesus, uh, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For you, have a, you, for you have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will, you may do them good, but me you have not always. She hath done what she could. And by the way, that's all God ever requires, is that we do what we can. She hath done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house tonight and to open up your word. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit and help me to be a dead to self, and I pray that uh, you will help us to grow uh, as we open up your word tonight. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for showing and proving that love for us uh, on that cross 2,000 years ago. Well, we pray that you help us to love you more as a result of our time uh, in your presence and in your word tonight. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. In 2014, uh, and there was a man in Kansas who woke up to find that his house was on fire. And so scrambling out of bed, he ran uh, through his bedroom and ran into the living room and scrambled out onto the porch, and he safely made it out of his burning house, but then he realized that there was something that he forgot, something that was very important, something that he couldn't live without. So he scrambled back into the house and through the living room and made it up to his bedroom and and grabbed uh, what he had forgotten and and then made it uh, back safely out of the house onto the porch, and he had his Xbox securely fastened in his hands. And he suffered smoke inhalation for this heroic act, and, and he, he, he risked his life going into a burning house 
to save an Xbox. Something that really uh, doesn't matter. I know it's a crazy story. It's really kind of a dumb story. Uh, but if, if we're honest and if I'm honest, I think we can say that we can identify to an extent with that, that sometimes we place things that aren't really significant as if they are significant. And sometimes there are things that God wants us to focus on and God wants us to be sensitive to, uh, but we're not because we're focused on things that really don't matter eternally speaking. And I think we can all honestly say that sometimes that's us. I think at one time when I was uh, in, in high school, I, I, I was a huge 49er fan, I still am, and um, I've, I've met, I think, one or two 49er fans in Washington, and if, if you are, praise the Lord, thank you for you. Are there any 49er fans in the house? You are awesome. Oh, yes, I heard about that. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Awesome. So um, I was a huge 49er fan, and, and, and in Southern California, they didn't show any of the Niner games on TV, uh, and so I was excited because I was going to go to university in the Bay Area, and they were going to have the Niner games on TV. I was going to be in 49er territory, so I was so excited about that. And I remember uh, my mom was driving me up to my university to drop me off for my freshman year, and uh, we got there the, the day early, uh, the day before I was going to be dropped off in the dorms. And so we got in a, in a hotel, and we were going to go have dinner that night. And so we went across the Bay Bridge from Oakland to San Francisco, and that's not a fun bridge uh, to cross. A lot of traffic, a lot of times it takes a long time to get through there. But in the middle of that bridge, I realized that if I went to go eat, at, eat dinner at that time, I was not going to make it back in time for my preseason 49er game that I wanted to watch in my hotel. And so I made my mom finish going through the Bay Bridge and the turnaround, come back through the Bay Bridge the other way. And basically an hour of her time I wasted so that I can watch my third stringers uh, play their preseason football game. And so, and, and I look back at that and I say, like, this, this was, I, I, shame on me because this was my last chance to have dinner with my mom for several months. She was about to drop me off and go to the other side of the state. And, and um, but I, I, I wasted an hour of her time and an hour of the last time that we had together for something that was very important to me that really shouldn't have been that important to me. And sometimes we place too much importance on things that don't uh, really matter. And today we're going to enter into the room. We're going to explore uh, this, this room, this feast, where there was a lady who did not have that problem. Mary of Bethany, as she's called uh, in the scriptures, was someone who did not have problem with placing too much significance on things that eternally uh, weren't that significant. There was only one thing on the throne of her heart, and that was Jesus Christ. And so we're going to delve into uh, this story, this interesting story. So, so we have in this room, we have this feast. Uh, it's in the house of Simon the leper. And if we just kind of notice just from right off the bat from verse number three, there's something interesting about this passage said and being, and being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper as, as he sat at meat. So Simon the leper is inviting people over to his house to have a feast. If you know anything about Bible culture, you know that that's not right because Lepers did not invite people over to their house. Lepers had to pronounce themselves unclean. They had this, uh, this disease, and it was a flesh-eating disease, and they had to live ostracized away from everybody else in society. They weren't allowed to be in contact with other people. And so the fact that he's inviting people over to his house in his vicinity, sitting at meat with him in the same room, indicates that obviously he must not have had leprosy anymore. And so we find a man who had just been healed by leprosy, and he's inviting people over to his house. And he's not the only person uh, there who had just experienced a miracle in his life uh, by Jesus. We find in John chapter 12 uh, that not only is, as are the apostles there, and not only is Mary there and Simon there, uh, but also Mary's siblings are there. Mary and Martha and Lazarus are there. 
And this takes place in John chapter number 12. But in John chapter number 11, we find that Lazarus uh, was the one uh, that died and was risen from the dead. And so we find Lazarus, who was dead just a little while ago, and now he's sitting at meat uh, with Jesus. And so we have two different people that have just experienced wonderful miracles in their life. And if anyone should, be, should have uh, been excited to worship Jesus and to show Jesus that they loved him that night, I think it would, should have been those people who just had been healed and who had just been arisen from the dead, who had just had miracles performed on their lives, in their lives. And so we find those people, and we also find the apostles uh, there in that room. The apostles were the ones, if we study the different passages where the story is told, the apostles are the ones that are there uh, having a critical spirit towards her. It says uh, in verse verse number five, uh, starting in verse number four, and there were some Uh, In other passages, we find that those some were Judas and the other apostles that joined in with him. There were some that had indignation. That means they were very angry with her, and they were criticizing her and snarling at her for something, quote-unquote, dumb and something, quote-unquote, wasteful that she was doing. And they're criticizing her for wasting this precious substance. And so we have these bystanders, uh, Lazarus and, and Simon, who had just had miracles performed in their lives, just kind of sitting there watching uh, Mary uh, show her love to Jesus. And we find the apostles who should have been encouraging Mary, uh, but they're sitting there criticizing her and yelling at her and, and making her feel small and making her look like a fool uh, in that room. And so what was Mary doing? What was the purpose? What was the significance of her breaking that box and putting that oil on his forehead? And so during that time in Bible days, you know, they didn't take showers every day. Showers didn't exist, and they didn't take a bath every night. It was, a bath was something that happened just on a, every once in a while. And so people worked outside all the time, and people always had a lot of perspiration on their body. And so a common act of hospitality would be if someone came to your house, especially if they were an honored guest, you would take a, a, a something that's some kind of oil or perfume that smelled good and you would put it on their forehead or some other part of their body to take away some of the odor of their, of their perspiration so that they can enjoy uh, their time with you and your, their time in your house uh, without having to be embarrassed, without having that smell bothering them uh, that was coming from their body. And so Mary is, is doing this and, and showing this act of hospitality and love and, and admiration. Of course, we know that this isn't just any old box of ointment. This is a very expensive, uh, very valuable box of ointment that she's pouring out, in, and, and, uh, pouring out on Jesus. And she has it in this alabaster box. Well, alabaster uh, was a substance, uh, we believe, that came from a city in, uh, in Egypt called Alabastron, and it was basically a glass type of a, a ceramic substance, and it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was known for uh, being able to preserve liquids very well. And so when you had something very expensive, you would seal it inside of this alabaster box, basically a, a, a vial or a vase, uh, and then you, and you would seal it, and the only, time you, the only way to be able to access the liquid inside would, to be, would be to break it. And so she comes out in the middle of this feast, and she breaks this box, and she pours it uh, on Jesus. And it's interesting that it says in verse number three, uh, as he sat at meat. And so she doesn't come before the feast starts. She doesn't come after they finish eating. She comes right in the middle of their meal. 
And what you don't find is Jesus saying, hey, Mary, you can do your, your little worship thing. You can do your little oil thing. I, I appreciate what you're doing, but, you know, you can do that. Just wait a half an hour. The food's going to get cold. You know, it's spent, they spent hours preparing this food. You know, just wait a little bit. Uh, we're going to eat our meal. We're going to have our fellowship, and then you can do this. But, but we don't find Jesus telling her to wait. We find Jesus saying, hey, this food can wait. This food can get cold. Uh, I don't care because what she's about to do is far more important to me than this meal and this fellowship and anything else going on in this room. Uh, her act of love that she's about to pour out upon me is more important than anything else going on. And by the way, Mary was paying attention. Mary knew that Jesus was about to be crucified just a few days later, and she knew that this was probably her last chance to see Jesus face-to-face, to be in personal uh, contact with him, and she knew this is my chance to show Jesus before he dies, that I love him, and I'm not going to waste it, and I'm going to give him everything uh, that I have. And so, uh, to the chagrin of everyone around her, and to the, uh, to the detriment of her, of, of, of how people were going to perceive her after that moment, she comes out and breaks this box and shatters it in front of everybody, interrupts the feast, and pours this oil on Jesus Christ to show him and to show everybody else, I love my Savior. So we have a lot of different people in that room. We have the bystanders. We have uh, Lazarus, and we have Simon the leper. We have critics in the room. We have the apostles who should have been encouraging her, but they were criticizing her. And then we have Mary, the person who came out and said, I don't care what anybody says, I'm going to break this box. And if there's nothing that's known about me, if there's only one thing that's known about me after tonight, it's going to be the fact that I love Jesus. I love my Savior. And I think in Christianity today, we have a lot of followers of Christ. We have a lot of Christians. We have a lot of bystanders, really. We have a lot of people just sitting and watching other people love Jesus. We have a lot of people sitting and watching other people worship Jesus and watching other people serve and give to Jesus. And we have a lot of people just standing or sitting and watching. We have a lot of critics who are focused too much on what that Christian's doing and how I can put them down. But we don't have many box breakers. And I don't know about you. I don't want to just be a bottom line Christian. I don't want to just be a mediocre Christian. I don't want to be a bystander watching other people serve and watching other people sacrifice and watching other people worship. I want to be a box breaker. I want to be the type of Christian that's just lock, stock, and barrel. Lord, you want me, you can have me because you bought me and you saved me and you created me and everything I have and everything that I am is yours. And you can just uh, do whatever you want with me because I belong to you and I'm in your hands. We have a lot of Christians, but we have very few box breakers today. And I think if we're going to see revival, if we're going to see churches started, if we're going to see uh, this world impacted We're going to need box breakers going to the field, and we're going to need box breakers here on the home front, helping and supporting and praying for and and giving so that we can have those churches started. We can have those missionaries go out. If we're going to have revival and if we're going to see a difference made, an impact made on this world, we're going to need not just more Christians, we're going to need more box breakers, not just more people kind of going through their their check, check, check it off the list devotions. Not just people necessarily attending church, but we need more people who are sold out for Jesus and whatever his will may entail. So today, just quickly, briefly, I know we already did some presentations and I had a long introduction. I won't be long tonight, 
But today I just want to uh, focus on three indications of a box breaker. Three indications of the kind of Christian that's just not your ordinary bystander or critic, but who's a box breaker. Number one, the first indication of a box breaker is the fact that everybody knows that they love Jesus. Everybody knows they love Jesus. If you think about this passage, she comes out in the middle of this room and she shatters this box. She shatters this, this glass vial, if you will. And she doesn't kind of do it in, her, in another room and kind of muffle the noise so that it doesn't bring too much attention. No, she goes out in the middle of that room and she shatters that glass in front of everybody and no doubt everybody can hear it. And it's in John chapter 12, I won't have you turn there, but it says that when she broke the box, the, oint, the ointment of the odor filled the house. So everybody heard it, and everybody smelt it, and everybody saw it. There's no one in that room or even in that house that could be there and not know that this woman was in love with Jesus. The apostles knew, the bystanders knew, but most importantly, Jesus knew. This was her last chance to see Jesus, and she wanted to make sure that when he was on that cross, she would, he would be remembering her. And I think of the way that the Romans would, uh, would hang people on the cross. They would put you on the, on the cross in such a way that your, your, your body was stretched out and your lungs were, were stretched and suppressed so that in order to take a breath, you would have to lift your, your body up and use the strength in your legs to lift your body up to take uh, another inhale, to take another breath. And if you read the, the gospel accounts, you, you find that... Um, bef- uh, you find that uh, they, they um, broke the legs of the, the male factors on either side of Jesus uh, to make sure that they didn't have the strength in their legs to lift their body up to take another breath. Uh, and they died of, of suffocation uh, because they didn't want uh, people hanging on a cross uh, on the Sabbath day because that was against uh, Jewish culture. And so um, the way people died on the cross usually was suffocation when their legs would lose their strength. Uh, to lift their body up again. And so every time you would lift your body up, I can just imagine you would take as deep of a breath as you possibly can so that it would take, a, so you'd have a long time before you had to lift your body up again. And I can just imagine as Jesus was on the cross, as he lifted his body up, every time he would go up, he would inhale as strong as he could. And we find in other passages that Jesus, that Mary didn't just put this oil on his forehead, but she put it all over his body, not in a provocative way but in an act of love. And no doubt, as he didn't take a bath or a shower between that day and the cross, those oils were still permeating in his pores. And every time he lifted his body up and took a deep breath, no doubt he can smell the ointment of that expensive, uh, precious spikenard that she had poured out on him in an act of love. And as he was dying on the cross, every time he took a breath, I'm sure he, he, he was uh, noticing everyone spitting on him and mocking him, and even uh, one of the male factors just kind of cursing him. And he probably looked into the future 2,000 years ahead and saw us sinning against him and turning our backs on him. But at least he was reminded of the fact that at least there's somebody who's, who loves me back. If there's one thing that people know about you, what would that be? I think in my high school years, and I was the biggest 49er fan you, could, you will ever find. And I remember pretty much every day of the school year, I wore Niner gear. I wore my Patrick Willis jersey, and if it was, uh, if it was cold, I would wear my Niner jacket. And pretty much every day I was wearing uh, Niner gear, and, and I'm sure there are some people in my high school who didn't know too much about me, but they probably knew. I don't know who that guy is, but I know he's tall, and I know he likes the 49ers. Well, you know what? Shame on me. Shame on me. I'm, I, I'm embarrassed that 
that if there's one thing someone knew about me, it was the team that I liked. And it wasn't the Savior that I worshipped. Well, they didn't know me for the tracts I handed out or for the times I prayed or tried to witness to my teachers. They knew me for a team that I liked. And God forbid that there be something that would identify me or any of us more than our love for Christ. The first indication of a box breaker is the fact that everybody knows that they love Jesus. The second indication of a box breaker is the fact that sacrifice is no problem. For them. Sacrifice is no problem for them. It wasn't a problem. It wasn't an issue uh, with Mary. She didn't hesitate to kind of, uh, she didn't think about and kind of tiptoe into that room. She went right in there and, and there was no, uh, there was, uh, no uh, pain and, and, uh, for her. It wasn't this hard struggle for her to pour out that box. She, she came in there and, and basically had the mindset that this is Jesus. This is the last time I'm going to see him. And even though uh, the, the, the common ritual is to pour out two or three drops on someone's forehead, I'm just going to pour out the whole box. And I know the apostles are going to say that this is going to be a waste, but I'm giving it to Jesus, and therefore there's no way it could be a waste. Because whenever you give something or, or do something for Jesus, uh, it's impossible for that to be a waste. It wasn't an issue for her, and that box of ointments was valued at 300 pence, which would be equivalent of basically a year's salary before bills and before taxes. The, the somewhat Somewhere around the, the equivalent of $35,000, uh, it would be what that box was worth. And in one moment, she poured it all out. Because what she valued was Jesus, and therefore sacrifice was not an issue for her. I think of David Livingston, one of my favorite missionaries. He endured a lot of tribulation while he was in Africa. One of the first pioneer missionaries to Africa before there was a lot of medical uh, technology and before there were a lot of advances that we have today. He was attacked by a lion, and it was only by the grace of God he survived that attack, that attack and his arm was messed up for the rest of his life. As a result of that, his wife died of, of yellow fever at a young age. He suffered malnutrition, and a lot of his teeth fell out because of that. He suffered from starvation, and, uh, and he got desperate. He started eating tree roots. Uh, he was a dead man walking for a lot of his ministry, and a lot of times his people would have to carry him from one place to another because he no longer had the strength to walk. He contracted a lot of diseases uh, during his time there, including yellow fever, malaria, and leprosy. He was just about as lonely as you can possibly be. And when asked about the sacrifice he made in Africa, this was his response. He said, for my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I've made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward and healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word sacrifice. Say, rather, it is a privilege Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink, but let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. And for David Livingston, sacrifice was a word that he decided to take out of his vocabulary because he knew that in light of what Jesus had done for him, there's nothing he could ever do that could ever be considered a sacrifice for Jesus. Sacrifice was no issue for him, and sacrifice was no issue uh, for Mary because they were in love with Jesus. Number three, the, the third indication of a box breaker is the fact that they value God's approval over the world's. They value God's approval 
over the world. Unfortunately, Mary was the most unpopular person in that room. She should have been the most praised and the most encouraged person in that room, but she was the most uh, unpopular person. She was the most ridiculed person in that room because there were people that were jealous of the fact that she was showing that, showing that she loved Jesus uh, more than them. And I'm sure in their eyes, and even pro- maybe in her eyes for a moment, she looked like a fool. But as you see from Jesus' response and his defense of her, that in his eyes, she was a servant. When I finished Bible college, I did Uber uh, in L.A., and I picked people up from every little nook and cranny in, in L.A. that you can think of. And, and I'll never forget the day I picked up a couple teen guys, and, and I went to uh, drop them off at, at one of their dad's house. And I picked them up from this school that I'd never heard of. It's called Harvard Westlake, uh, and it's a very pre- prestigious uh, basically, academy, it's $52,000 a year to put your kids there. Uh, very expensive, uh, very uh, prestigious. And, and I remember uh, he, was, he was asking me about colleges, and he was, we were talking about it. He said, hey, did you go to college? I said, yeah, I went to Bible college, but you know, before, uh, before that, I spent a year at, at UC Berkeley. And, and he was saying, well, that's the school I'm trying to get into. He said, that's the school that my, that my dad went to, and, and I went to go drop him, him off at his house, and, and I saw the house that his dad had in Brentwood and uh, right next to Santa Monica and Pacific Palisades and, and Bel Air, and it's a very uh, nice area, and my Toyota Camry uh, did not belong on that street. If you had a Mercedes, you were kind of a low-ranking member of that, of that street. And I remember just seeing that house, and the devil just kind of crept in, in that car and said in that moment, Garen, look, th- th- this house and this car belongs to someone who went to the school that you had a partial scholarship for. And his son is, is they're spending $52,000 a year to try to get his son in the school so that they can get into the school that you uh, went to. And look at this house and look at this car and look at the street in this neighborhood and look how close they are uh, to the beach and look what you could have had. And now you're making minimum wage driving people around in L.A. You look like a fool. And for a time that night, I... I gave into that, and I thought, man, I am a fool. I'm scraping to get by. I'm trying to save up to, uh, to, get my, to buy my wife's engagement ring, and, and uh, I'm, I'm just trying to get by, and, and, and I could have had so much more if I would have stayed in the school I was at. I remember I finished my rides, and I was heading back home to Lancaster that night, and the Holy Spirit kind of got back in the car, and he told the devil, okay, you can, you can get out of this car now. And he kind of came in and just took precedence in there, and he said, Garen, he tried to show you what you could have had for maybe a few years, but just wait to see the mansion you're going to have for all of eternity. And you're going to go to Africa one day, and there, you're going to go to heaven one day, and there's going to be thousands of Africans, who knows, maybe millions of Africans that are going to come and say, Garen, thank you so much for coming to my country. I'm so glad that you came because now I'm here. And the same could be said to uh, anyone who, who, uh, who supports that and anyone who, uh, whenever a missionary goes to a country, uh, it's not just him getting the credit. It's not just uh, him and his wife that are doing the work. Uh, there's just an equal amount of work that needs to be done on the home front and prayers and giving, and, and they're just as much, that's fruit uh, to your guys' account. But I remember the, the, the devil telling me, you look like a fool right now, but the, the Holy Spirit told me, no, you look like a servant. Look in verse number nine, and we'll be done. Verily, uh, this is Jesus continuing to defend Mary. He says, Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. 
Now, this is a verse that I've read a lot of different commentaries on, and a lot of people give you, if you read nine commentaries, you'll probably get 10 different interpretations. But I really believe this verse is just as simple as it sounds. I believe it's not too complicated. I really believe that what Jesus is saying, he's, he's talking to the apostles who are criticizing Mary, and, and he's saying to them, you guys are criticizing her, and you guys are putting her down, but you know what? I'm going to make sure that this story, the story of what she did tonight, gets recorded in this book. And not just one time, not just twice, but three times. And we know a lot about the apostles. We know a lot about uh, even Paul, who came later on. We know about Peter. We know a lot about the bad things that we did, that they did, as, as well as the good things. And we don't know too much about Mary. But because of this story, we know that she loved Jesus. And I'm sure that some, everywhere, every Sunday and every Wednesday night, and even a lot of Thursday nights, somewhere in the world where this gospel is being preached, there's someone preaching on Matthew 26, on Mark 14, or on John chapter 12, telling her story. And she gets to sit in heaven and look down and say, I've been in heaven for 2,000 years, but God is still using me on earth. That's the kind of fruit that I want to abound to my account. That's the kind of rewards that I want. That's the kind of thing that I want to live for, things that last for all of eternity. There was a time in my life when God said, I want you to turn your life around. I had spent, I had dedicated half a decade of my life to getting into a certain school, and, and I remember I would stay up late as, as, as much as I had to. I was driven, I would pull all-nighters to do whatever I needed to do to, to get an A in every class, to take every AP class I could, and, and I graduated uh, with 4.69 GPA from, from my high school and got into a good school and got a half scholarship for that school, and, and I, was, I went to that school for a year, and at the end of that year, God said, you know what? All this stuff that you've been working for, not that there's been anything wrong with it, but I want you to completely do something different. I want you to turn 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Instead of going off into the business world that you were planning on doing, I want you to go into the ministry. And I was forced uh, with this decision where God was saying, I know this box that is very precious to you that you spent half a decade of your life working towards, but right now I want you to break it shatter it. Don't just put a crack in it. I want you to shatter it and pour it out and give it to me because I have other plans for what's in that box. And what was in that box was my future. And I don't know what's in your box. I don't know if it's your future. I don't know if it's something uh, that God is putting on your heart in terms of your bank account that he wants you to give. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, something in your heart that God is saying, I want you to get right. I don't know if it's your future. I don't know uh, what it is. And maybe there's someone here who has never given their heart to God. And, they, and you need to, to place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior so you can leave tonight knowing for sure you're going to heaven and you haven't given your heart to Jesus yet. I don't know what's in your box tonight. But putting a little crack in it isn't going to do. Jesus isn't worth just a little crack. He's worth shattering it open and saying, Lord, it's yours. You take it. I'm done. I'm giving it all to you. And I don't know what's in your box tonight, but I can honestly tell you that you will never regret giving it to Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that this sermon was an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. If you have any questions about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.